So yes. I'm going to try to Homer Simpson it. <laughs> try and dumb it down. <laughs> drink, I'm, I'm about to drink. Graham's just drinking a can of Duff beer, and he's going to try. Followed by a, a belch. You, you can uh, in, intervene if I'm getting too technical. So basically it's about having a dicky ticker. A dicky ticker. <laughs> no, so basically it's a syndrome where the electrical part of your heart uh, goes astray. So. Hey, um, Roger, Hi. Roger, how are you going? <laughs> are you good? Back are you, again. I used right. to share a house with a woman and uh, she was right into uh, herbology and um, naturopathy and yep. burning scented candles. Her nickname, of course, was the Wicked Witch. Yep. She had a boyfriend and he had a father who died suddenly in his sleep in his mid-twenties. And yep. he was petrified that the same was going to happen to him yep. later in his life. There was no cause for death found at autopsy. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah, very interesting. Yeah. Mm. I, I must admit, I was. I thought you were leading into a joke there. Or <laughs> I wasn't sure. No. <laughs> but anyway, yeah. Okay, so this week, uh, everyone, we're going to, Graham and I are going to chat about an interesting topic, hopefully do a bit of education. We've had to educate ourselves. I'm gonna, um, I thought we'd start with a bit of news first. So... Graham and I, we, we had a little holiday up in Broome, didn't we? It was working. Yeah, working holiday. Um, mm. So... Uh, we went up to the rural down under. Uh, rural rural anaesthesia, anaesthesia down, down under. Com- Radu conference. Mm. Um, it was probably over a month ago now, or even longer. So shout out to Casey Parker and the Rural Health West team who organised it and uh, did a great job. And um, good day to all the GPAs that we met uh, and a few RFDS docs um, that we met uh, during that conference. That was good fun. Uh, what else is happening in the world at the moment? Oh, the, the Olympics. Oh, of course, the yeah, Kiwis Olympics. are doing well. Yeah, there's lots of rain and there's lots of floods. Mm. Are the Kiwis doing all right? Yeah, I think so. Australia's doing pretty well. Yep. Um, enjoyed the cycling. Saw uh, Ecuador got its second gold medal, which was good. And good then, on them. And then the Dutch, uh, the poor girl, she came oh. second. She thought she'd won because they, they didn't have race radio. Yeah, so I mean, the silver medal's pretty good. Yeah, that's right. It's worth celebrating. Yeah. And uh, just so someone might listen to this podcast two years from now. So where are we up to in the COVID world? Um, oh, there's things that are pretty grim over east. Everything's locked down and... Uh, we're, we're still okay here in WA, and um, I think it was about uh, only 11% of Australia is completely vaccinated. So we're not, 12% not doing, I read this morning. Yeah, so we're not doing too well. Mm. Anyway, okay, let's move on to some clinical stuff. Well, it's not really clinical, is it? Because it's all a bit made up. But no, it is <laughs> clinical. Interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, I've got we've, a, we've, I, we've been confronted with it recently, at least, I have, at least twice. Yeah, that's right. Mm. I've uh, definitely, you know, well, I've uh, had to look after someone uh, years ago who, who had their congenital form. Anyway. Let's forget that we know what the topic is, although most people will. Um, so let's just start with a hypothetical case. I just want to make it sort of seem like a real thing for people. So, Graham, you're the duty anaesthetist. You get a page. Can you come down to lay board? There's a 25-year-old woman down here who's just come down from the ward. Um, she came in a few days earlier for a premature rupture of membranes. Let's say she's in, I don't know, third trimester at some stage. Um, she came in uh, for a premature rupture of membranes and her celestone's current now and they want to induce her and so they brought her down to lay ward and they put some cervidil in but the midwife and the obstetric um, registrar who, who are in the room are a bit worried about her and they want you to come and give your opinion and review her as well because um, about 20 minutes ago she passed out and was unresponsive for 
30 seconds. And they sort of thought, oh, okay, I'm not sure what's going on there. But then she's just done it again and now they're a bit worried. Um, and so you wander into the room uh, to find out what's going on. Um, I'll give you a bit more information. So you ask for some, yeah, as any good duty nieces would, you want to know what her obs are. She looks and she's apparently they say she's fine. Her heart rate's 57. Blood pressure's 155. She's afebrile. She's not tachypneic. She's not in labour having contractions. She's not, um, you know. Um, but funny background story, she has had a lot of problems with vomiting during pregnancy and in the last couple of days she's been vomiting up a lot and um, hasn't been keeping much down. That's another reason why they just want to get on deliver. And they've been trying, the team have been trying quite hard to uh, fix her up for that. So they've been giving her lots of um, anti-nausea medications, some famotidine, some Danstron. They gave her a bit of droperidol and some Maxilon. And interestingly, she's also on erythromycin because she's in a premature rupture. Yes. Okay, right. Mm-hmm. What are you thinking? So what's well, differential diagnosis of someone well, who's, who's or, or, uh, unresponsive? Altered conscious state. It's a very yep. broad differential. Yep. Um, and so I'd really like to know from history whether she's had any of these kinds of events before. Yep. If there's any family history of the same, if yep. there's any other known medical problems that she has. Yep. Uh, and then uh, the differential includes neurological conditions. Yep, good. That's what I thought of too. Uh, cardiovascular conditions. Yep. Psychiatric or psychological conditions. Yeah, yep, definitely. Cultural conditions. Cultural conditions. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, that's, and pretty then things, uh, that's pretty much what I got yeah, too. Yeah, yeah. Is there anything else you think there? Oh, I'm vasovagal, but I think that fits into all of those categories. Yeah, so vasovagal, mm. postural hypotension, that all sort of fits in dehydration. Uh, and then I thought, you know, neurological, which could be all things, all sorts of things, you know, embolic or epilepsy or. Yes. Uh, and then psychiatric slash cultural could just be, you know, like stress related sort of. Yes. Or non-epileptic form or pseudo seizures or, you know, all those sorts of funny things. Yep. Yeah, but she's on some uh, medications. So, and what do you, yeah, what would you like to do and what do you think uh, the topic of today's yeah. podcast I'd is? I'd definitely <laughs> like to do a 12 lead ECG and Correct. take some bloods. Yes, In okay, particular, so. her electrolytes and her magnesium. Yeah, and so, like, you know, I tried to paint a pretty good picture there. She's on a lot of uh, medications. And so, let's assume that you did do some bloods and, um, yeah, she, because she's. Um, hasn't been eating and drinking well she has hypokalemia mm-hmm. and she's also dehydrated and you do an ecg and um I just, i've got some articles in front of me here i can show you one i'll show you 12 ECG. i'm sure i've got one here which i'll try and post on the um on the web page it links to this so um can't find one okay calculate the qt's qt interval on this <laughs> okay so <laughs> i had one the other night yes uh, yes so the QT, and her heart rate, so her heart rate's fifty-seven. Mm-hmm. So you don't really need to do no. the, any formulas to correct it. That's no. useful, isn't it? Mm-hmm. You can just measure it. That's correct. Um, so we want so to get a calculator QT corrected yeah, interval. Yeah. Uh, which uh, which lead are you going to look at? I think there's lead some two lead. or V five. Yeah, I think that's usually I think the what some most helpful. Say, yeah. mm. um, and you, you should look at like two or three of them. And um, so each small. So you, you're measuring from what do you? What, if you're measuring the QT interval, what are you from, measuring from? From the start of the Q, Q wave to the, to end, the end of the T wave. Yeah, and mm. but sometimes actually can be a bit difficult, more difficult than that yeah. if they've got hypokalemia and U waves or yes. um, inverted Ts and things. But yes. you're supposed to inc- if the U wave is like attached to the T wave, you should include it apparently. Yes. All right, and uh, each small square, how many milliseconds is it? Oh, you're really throwing me in there. <laughs> 
uh, <laughs> it's forty. Big, yeah, exactly. 40, each big so. each big square is two hundred milliseconds. Yeah, and, and there's five of those. To five small squares to a big square, so that's each small square is forty milliseconds. Yeah, I've been practicing recently because I was thinking, you know, I've been reading up on this, and so yeah, every ECG I get, I've been calculating it. <laughs> so yeah, so uh, you know, abnormal is anything over sort of four twenty to four forty. But to be honest, people don't get really worried till it seems to be about over five hundred or yes or more, isn't mm-hmm. it? Unless they've got a history of arrhythmias. Yeah, so, and particularly when you've got a heart rate of about sixty, you yeah. can just look at the. Um, yeah. The, uh, the the pattern, if the QT uh, interval or the T wave ends more than halfway between the uh, yes, two right. QRS complexes, you know you've got trouble. Yeah, so if the QT interval is more than half of the of the, the length between, RR interval. Be, between two QRS complexes, mm. yeah, the RR interval, so then that's just eyeballing it, that's a bad sign, then you should slow down and calculate it. Yes. And they're they're uh, the ECGs that I remember from um, yeah. exams. Yeah, anyway, so just eyeballing it, so, you know, if... One small square is 40 seconds. So if it's more than 11 small squares, mm. and uh, you know, I had a woman the other, uh, last week, 560 milliseconds. I was like, well, that's not like a little bit prolonged. That was well prolonged. Yes. Um, which seemed a bit weird because it's, you know, like a, a week after I've just been reading up about this and then all of a sudden someone has it. Anyway, but, but we were reading up about this, I think, because of something we'd seen in theatre. Yeah, and, and we had a case of yes. uh, and a, um, a more concerning arrhythmia uh, mm. a few weeks before that even. Mm. Okay, so... Things come in threes. Yeah, so obviously, so that's the thing you're worried about. Yeah, it's a funny sort of uh, story that I've given painted you of a woman who's having intermittent uh, syncope and, um, and she's on lots of drugs which are known to prolong the QT interval, and so you know when you're looking at the ECG, I guess you're looking for any arrhythmias really. Yes. But but that's the sort of thing if you're suspicious about um, you know someone having funny turns, that's the thing probably the thing you should hone in on. Mm. If, um, looking at the QT interval, because it's the syndrome we're worried about. There is an association between tachycardia and exacerbation of the syndrome in uh, congenital. Yeah, cases. so we, when we get further down the, mm. um, our discussion, we're going to talk about. Well, we could probably mention it briefly now that you know congenital. Versus acquired. Mm. So congenital is really those people who have like strong genetic um, mutations, which are most of them are autosomal recessive or dominant. Yes. And there's a strong family history of like people dropping dead in adolescence mm. or early adulthood. They're the <coughs> kids they, I can remember from. And they have channelopathies, so they have like yes. abnormal genetic, genetically abnormal channels. And then there's people who get acquired um, long QT syndrome, which is probably, uh, and usually they have to have multiple sort of things. Uh, multiple sort of um, predisposing factors all come together at the, at the same time, but they probably do have an underlying predisposition, but they don't have the strong, um, severe mutation in one of their cardiac channels. Yes. Um, all right. You going to say something? Oh, just the um, congenital cases are the ones I remember from the um, paediatric emergency department. Yeah. Where yep. the children will come in having done some activity and not taken their beta blockers and uh, yep. suddenly collapsed. Yep. Mm. And I, I've only met one woman who had a, that who came to the high risk clinic many years ago, and I can remember that she got, uh, it, it was diagnosed in her family after she was pregnant, and her she had a brother who had just dropped dead in Bali, mm. uh, in a swimming pool, and so the whole family were told to go and get checked out, and they discovered that the family had the syndrome, um, and so she was booked in to get it treated with an ICD, I think, or they were thinking about adding, doing that, but after she was, they were going to do it after she delivered. Yes. Um, and about so that's uh, 70% of the uh, congenital can be um, 
or probably more, can be detected on um, some form of um, chromosomal or genetic um, testing, Yeah, as far as I'm aware. I reckon, so I did put a little note down, and I thought we should do like a basic Homer Simpson overview of what this is for people so they don't get lost. Mm. I know some people um, uh, may have never heard of this, and other people may be quite familiar with it. So yes. I'm going to try to Homer Simpson it. <laughs> try and dumb it down. <laughs> drink, I'm, I'm about to drink... Graham's just drinking a can of Duff beer, and he's going to try. Followed by a, a belch. You, you can uh, in, intervene if I'm getting too technical. So basically, it's about having a dicky ticker. A dicky ticker. <laughs> no, so basically, it's a syndrome where the electrical part of your heart uh, goes astray. So, um, you know, obviously, you have action potentials that go through your heart, which tell your heart to contract. And the, the, so, the, it's the action potential. Uh, has two parts to it. One where it depolarizes, and that's when it tells the muscle to contract. And then when it repolarizes, uh, that's when the muscle relaxes as well. And that's when it's getting ready for the next one. This is a condition whereby you can either be born with some sort of um, uh, abnormal um, electrical component of your heart, which is you the channels where the sodium and potassium go in and out of your and calcium uh, and calcium go in mm. and out of your cell can be abnormal and that's where you've got the congenital where you're born with this uh, syndrome where it doesn't repolarize properly mm-hmm. um, but there are you can develop this if you um, have get exposed to medications or other physiological things like low potassium and low magnesium and hypothermia uh, where you can also develop a slowed repolarization and when your heart muscle cells uh, repolarize slowly Sometimes an event can trigger this um, arrhythmia, which is like a cir- circulates around your ventricle, causing it to sort of um, it's, it's a it's a type of ventricular tachycardia uh, called tossois tossade de point, which is the French term for turning of the or rotation of the points, mm-hmm. um, and that can deteriorate into ventri- uh, ventricular fibrillation and or cardiac arrest in some people. Sometimes it just goes gets better and you go back in the sinus rhythm, but it's pretty serious, obviously, if it does lead to VF and, re- and death and so it can cause sudden cardiac death you know so sometimes so some of these um, adolescents that you see that drop dead on um, uh, in sporting events um, or are just suddenly found dead um, some of them will have this will be one of those conditions that is, can go undiagnosed and cause sudden death in young, in young people <clears throat> right so was it important for us I guess because there's things there's a lot of um, events, people who have this syndrome, so they can develop it or, or they can be born with it, um, they can have events that occur during um, childbirth or delivery, surgery, anaesthesia, which can trigger this torsade de point and can cause sudden cardiac death if you don't manage things properly. I guess physiological things and medications we can give them can cause harm and also we've got to know how to treat it if it happens. Yes. Um, Okay, should we talk about the cardiac action potential? I thought, I thought that was uh, I thought that was beautifully described. Okay, Homer Simpson style. I reckon he would have said, "Dumb it down more." <laughs> okay, that's basically what I think of it. That's basically what it is. So, the Q, uh, the, the cardiac action potential. We should for so for those of you who don't want to know the more detailed description, you can fast forward the the um, podcast maybe five or six minutes. Because we're going to talk about the action potential and the ion channels and 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 explain how that uh, how that relates to the ECG and the QT and how how it actually causes torsade de point. 
the highlight this is of the my last. Bit. <laughs> yeah, the highlight of my last two days. Has this been, is the technical bit. Yeah, the, hi- <laughs> the highlight of my last two days has been rereading uh, my fellowship notes on this yeah. topic. And I must admit, I found this heavy going as well. I had to mm. re- so this is quite technical. Um, but there will be. I know there will be people who are interested in this because some people really love sort of knowing. They really want to know why something happens. It's still. I know I do. I've, when I hear about something, I know, why does it happen? You know? Yes. So it's I think we should talk about it. It's still a work in progress, though, isn't it? Yeah, but they do mm. know. They do know, they know quite um, a lot. Yeah, a fair amount. Yeah. So the cardiac action potential. Yeah, so the cardiac sure. action potential. So I guess I'm not going to go through the whole cardiac action potential, but all the money's in the repolarization, isn't it? Mm-hmm. So normally the the membrane on the outside of the cardiac myocyte is. Um, at a resting potential of minus 90 millivolts, and that's the sodium-potassium ATPase pumps pumps um, ions. So inside of inside of cells have lots of potassium. Outside of cells, you're in the blood and plasma. It's full of sodium, um, and uh, there's little pumps in the cell membrane that sort of pump them in both in the right direction, so that, that stays that way. And that means that there is a, like an electrical gradient on the surface of the cell. And then when you have an action potential come along, suddenly some fast sodium voltage-gated sodium channels open and lots of sodium flies into the cell and the membrane depolarizes. That's called depolarization. That also triggers influx of calcium and the calcium makes the muscle contract. So this is like you know, how, you, how you get your heart muscle to contract. Uh, and then all the money... That, so in this syndrome, all the, all the things that go wrong is this, the second part where everything is to repolarize. Um, and usually what happens is that after a while there's some um, potassium channels that open and of course potassium goes out because mm. there's lots of potassium in the cell and it goes out and that sort of helps to repolarize things. And basically the speed with which repolarization occurs is a balance between um, the calcium and sodium coming in and the potassium going out. Yes. And if, if any of those get um, mucked up then the repolarization can take longer or even shorter I suppose but the most common abnormality is it takes longer because most of the things that happen seem to affect most commonly affect the outflow of potassium mm. so the drugs that have um, um, that block the, out, the potassium channels that cause you know, outflow of potassium which help the cell get back to its normal resting membrane potential that funny enough is the easy bit. <laughs> and then after that, I think most of us who have done um, basic uh, physiology understand that. But then I, then when I started to read some of these papers, it starts talking about transmural depolarization mm. and the peak from the T wave, the, the peak of the T wave to the end of the T wave, and, and transmural dispersion gradients of repolarization of repolarization TDRs. Yeah. So basically. So why why do you get like um, VT to start the point and VF if you have if your repolarization takes a long time? You know, yeah. that, it's like well, so what? It just takes longer to repolarize, and maybe your heart just does, can't beat as fast. But no, it has to do with unequal distribution of those processes. Yes, in different areas of the heart. Yes, so that's exactly right. So so that epithelium and the endothelium usually repolarize quicker than the in the myocardial cells that are sort of in between them. Yes. Which I can't recall, the mid-myocytes. Mid-myocytes, yes. And so what happens is if you can have some cells that have completely repolarized and are ready to go again and others that are still repolarizing. And if you've got 
So, and that's probably that's I think from my understanding. Tell me if yours is the same, Graham. Is that if you have cells next to each other, some of which are ready to go again and ready to be triggered, mm. so they've reloaded the barrel and the rifle's ready to go, <laughs> and others that are, are still in the process of actually halfway through an action potential. Sometime, you know, if, if things go badly, if you get an extra cystity or something, that can trigger um, the cells that have already. Repolarize, then once again depolarize, and you can get these like little re-entry circuits, yes. um, a bit like Wolf Parkinson might, etc. Mm. These re-entry circuits which circulate around the ventricle, changing where they're where they're occurring, and that's why you get this change in the in the axis, in the QRS axis, which looks like the twisting Turning of the points around the points. Yes. Yeah, because each each VT, the QRS complex is triggered from a slightly different spot and that's why they're always changing yes so you know so classic v normal vt the qrs is you know it's a broad complex tachycardia um, but each qrs looks the same doesn't it yes Whereas to start the point they're all different because they're all starting off somewhere different mm. early <laughs> after depolarization yes early after depolarization yeah, it's not r on t no, I, I didn't read that anywhere actually, it's which it, I do remember. Yeah, it's early about. after depolarization. Yeah, mm. yeah, and they talk about um, <coughs> uh, yeah. So and they talk about that um, just because the QT interval is prolonged doesn't necessarily mean you're prone to torsades. Well, and what matters more is whether you've got this dispersion where you've got some cells repolarizing slower than others, and they're close to each other. Yes. And that is more like so the torsadogenicity, torsadogenicity of a drug is uh, probably possibly better evaluated by looking at the time from the peak of the P wave, yes. the t- peak T-wave. of the T wave to the end of the T wave called TPE, T-peak TPE slash T end interval. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Mm. Big breath. Can I have another can of duff? <laughs> I think we've gone past duff. What's some sort of intellectual drink we get? <laughs> Not Red Bull. Okay. Uh, Taurine. <laughs> what are those? Um, what's that black can? Mother. <laughs> it's definitely not that. <laughs> okay. Quantrol. Yeah. Have you heard about the um, the new procedure they're doing in Europe? No. The brain <laughs> transplant. Okay. I didn't think I had. I'd have it, but I've changed my mind. <laughs> okay. All right. But uh, hang on. Um, <laughs> I haven't used that for a while. Okay. All right. For those of you who have just fast-forwarded and caught up with uh, uh, us and skipped the boring bit, <laughs> now we're going to talk about... What should we talk about? Um, we've talked about how to measure it. We've explained the cardiac potential and we've gone into all the mechanism in a lot of detail. We've talked about congenital versus acquired. Why don't we talk about... Um, Is there any treatment? value in talking about the QTC? Did we mention that? Yeah, we should mention that, shouldn't yeah. we? We just skipped that. But there is so basically the QT uh, interval does get shorter as your heart rate goes up. Yes. So it's hard. So so you can so you, the normal range that you when you're comparing people and calculating the normal range is you want to correct the QT interval. And there's various formulas out there. Mm-hmm. Um, which, to be honest, the safest thing to do is to like you know look up the formula. Yes. Um, but there's various ones and. Most East 12 ECGs will give you a corrected QTC. They'll, they'll actually measure it and print it out for you. But you should always, like I think, double-check mm. what the computer prints on those things because sometimes it doesn't know where the start and the end of things are. Yes. 
So if it says something is something, you know, actually eyeball it and make sure it is giving you a proper number. Correct. Uh, yeah, so you, so, and we didn't, did we mention normal ranges? You did. Yeah, I think it's like 420 to 440 is normal. Milliseconds. Milli of the QTC, so corrected interval is normal. Mm. And then anything over that is abnormal, but like anything over 500 is really abnormal. Yes. That's like seriously concerning. <laughs> I'm concerned, Graham. I'm concerned. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I would be concerned. Um, Jesus. Deep breath. Okay. Yeah, I was going to talk about um, treatment. So before we go any further, what should we do? Treatments. Treatments, yeah. Okay. So uh, make the diagnosis. Okay. Uh, so we can talk about like someone who's got prolonged QT and then we will talk about someone who's in torsades. Yeah. Okay. So if someone has prolonged QT, then usually... Uh, a medicine that can help is magnesium. Yep. Intravenously. Yep. Because it impairs calcium flux across those cardiac myocytes. Yep. <clears throat> yep. So calcium inflow. Yes. Um, prolongs the repolarization. Yep. So if you block calcium inflow, that sort of helps shorten repolarization. So calcium. That's why magne- intravenous magnesium has been shown. To you know, shorten repolarization and stabilize the cardiac membrane, and definitely, it's like even if the magnesium is normal, still, still giving magnesium helps. Patients who are hypokalemic, yep, may benefit from or will benefit from potassium, yep, usually IV, with a target in the high normal range, like four and a half millimoles yes, per liter. That's right. Um, if you've got someone with say potassium one point nine, mm. prolonged QT, not looking good. You, should, you, you can't give potassium too fast. You can't. So you should definitely straight up start my magnesium. Yes. And then, as well as getting ready, as getting organised and replacing the potassium, but it's going to take a really long time to get the potassium back to normal. Yeah. Whereas, so it the doesn't, and it doesn't matter what the serum magnesium is at the time. Yeah, and it's likely to be low as well. Actually, yes. yeah. but one to two grams of magnesium over sort of three or five minutes. Yes. And then, um, I think it's like. The books say three to twenty milligrams per minute, but I calculated that out. It's like about, like the top range of that is about a, a gram an hour. So this is pretty easy to do in an obstetric hospital because mm. everybody, everybody in our hospital would like, hey, that's easy. We do that all the time for preeclampsia. <laughs> yeah. Four gram loading dose, yes, and one gram an hour. Yes. So yeah, pretty easy to start some more magnesium here. Mm. Um, but yeah, that you could do that anyway. So and so one of those ampules that we have on our. And it's electrolyte magnesium, that's 2.4 grams. So basically it's about one ampule of magnesium and then run an infusion. Yes. Yeah. And then fix the potassium. And also pay attention to the other potential triggers. Yeah. And what we give to patients may um, contribute. Yeah, that's so right. There's a, so a whole range go. of medications. So medications, yep. Correct hypothermia. Yep. Stop, stop the drugs or, and or don't give the drugs that are causing it. Before we move on, if someone's in torsades, how do we manage that? So d- magnesium, magnesium. It usually self-limiting. Yeah, but if it doesn't, or it d- they may require um, defibrillation yep. or cardioversion. Yep. So cardioversion um, the, the is f- is what is you recommended to use for VT, isn't it? Yes. But it requires the machine has to, to recognise the to recognise the rhythm and synchronise with it. Yes. Apparently, sometimes it has trouble with torsades because torsades is obviously changing. Mm. So if it won't synchronise, because so just remember that if you if the patient's awake and talking to you, but in torsades, because uh, you can you can still be conscious when when you're yes. in VT. Yes. Yes. Um, 
and for some reason you're like, oh, I can't, why won't it cardiovert or it won't synchronise, just, you just have to change to defibrillation because uh, sometimes it won't synchronise. Mm. Um, or if they're awake and talking to you, give them some magnesium and see if that works. Yeah. All right. And um, if they have VF, that's pretty easy. Defibrillate. Yes. <clears throat> okay. Drugs. Yeah, we should talk about that. So the the research into this is um, tricky, I think. Um, but there is um, there was some there's a website that used to be called torsards.org. It's now morphed into a new website. It's called LongQT. Yeah, it used oh. to be called LongQT as well. Mm. .org. That's gone. They will be morphed into this new one called Crediblemeds.org or something. It's just obviously uh, not quite as catchy and <laughs> intuitive. Um, you know, I mean, I spent all morning going through all the drugs that I could think of. I think they come from every class of medication. Yes. So the problem the, now the problem with this is that obviously doing research on this is pretty hard. Um, as we have said before. You can do, like, I'm sure you can do, like, basic studies and look at the QT interval, but just because something prolongs the QT interval a little bit doesn't actually mean it causes torsades. And mm. some drugs that actually are known to prolong the QT but have been used extensively in people with a congenital form of the syndrome and had no problems at all. So when you go onto this website, it's, it's difficult and you have to interpret it with caution because I've got a list here in front of me and I've got, like, quite a few drugs which um, <laughs> say you should never use, but reading all the case reports about how people gave anaesthetics to some of these um, patients, they did use them <laughs> because you have no other choice. Um, should we talk about the, the ones that most lay people, well, most people know and sort of the really commonly people the ones people know about? Um, so most of most anaesthetists know that droperidol causes a prolongation of the QT interval because it was withdrawn from the American market. It's a black box warning. Yeah, mm. but um, it's probably no, better than Aldansetron does as well. So Yes. But it's still available in the US. Mm. <laughs> Um, so in general, though, it's like um, the, the common classes, which people should, I mean, I recommend you look up, if you've got someone with prolonged QT, go and look up every single medication before you consider using it. But as a general overview, it's antibiotics, yes. anti-emetics, yes. antipsychotics and antidepressants. Yes. Uh, I've got antiarrhythmics. And antiarrhythmics, yeah. Mm. And... Um, yeah, and then there's a whole list of other sort of drugs as well. But those are the ones that are known to cause it. Mm. Yeah. And um, there are some drugs that we use. Yep. In our obstetric practice. Yep. So that that's are known to cause it. Yep. That we have to be very careful with. Yep. Do you want to go through? Well, um, in particular, oxytocin. Yep. Or carbitocin. Yep. Definitely. Um, so we're. We have already touched on this, isn't it? So just because the drug is on listed as causing prolongation of the QT and you've got someone who's got either this congenital syndrome or maybe has and an acquired quiet. form, you're going to let someone who's just had a long, hard labour and delivered <laughs> bleed to death in front of you because you're, you're too wimpy to give some um, oxytocic drugs of some sort? No. <laughs> no, that's right. Yeah. So the problem is that you're going to have to – sometimes you have to get a balance risks. Mm. So you've got to know that, yes, there is this, um, it is listed as causing problem. Same as, like, you give someone a spinal, every single vasopressor has got a <laughs> black box warning yeah, on the website. yes. So you, get, you do a spinal on a patient or, uh, you know, or for some reason during their anaesthetic they need a vasopressor of some sort because their blood pressure is tanked. I'm not going to not give them 
any of these drugs. So I looked up ephedrine, noradrenaline, phenylephrine, epinephrine, isoprenaline. <laughs> They're all like black, avoid. You know, mm. I'm like, oh, yeah, well, that's not going to happen, is it? Because you're not going to let someone um, die from hypotension. Uh, so inter- uh, interestingly, metaraminol is not listed, but I think it's just because they don't. It's not a North American drug, and it didn't didn't make it onto the onto their list. Mm. <laughs> no, the important thing is uh, know the patient, yep. know their problem, monitor appropriately, and be very careful. Yes, and have the ability to respond if something goes wrong. Yeah, that's right. And so also, so so on this website they have black, which is basically avoid. It's known to prolong it and known to cause to cells, and it's red, which is a known risk sort of like the next step down. Yellow, which is like it's a possible risk. And then they just either say uh, it's not known to cause it or it's not classified or they or some, some medications as you can't find there on that list. And I couldn't find metaraminol, ergometrin or carboprost. Um, so they're just unlisted so it doesn't say anything about them. Um, Were there any green drugs? Yeah, it didn't have like a green. It just said, mm. you know, uh, not not known, not known or unlisted, uh, and so not known to cause it. Yeah. Um, so interestingly, sevoflurane is red. Yeah, you mm. think you think to yourself, oh, okay, we'll better with it. So it's propofol. Oh, okay, so we can't give anyone mm. <laughs> general anaesthetic. <laughs> They're all going to have to have awareness or have spinal. <laughs> um, so obviously that's not the case. So actually, if you read some anaesthetic papers. Um, they say that sevoflurane does prolong the QT interval a little bit, but it's been used extensively and never caused torsades, and they think that actually it's not torsadogenic and propofol the same. Mm. Um, so actually those drugs are probably both fine. Yes, this takes me back to the cath lab. Yeah. Electrophysiological studies. Yeah, that's right. Mm. Um, okay, we've gone on from tangent. So, yeah, so... Um, yeah, I guess I, th- I think we've covered most things. We talk, we we could sit here and go for the next forty minutes, go through every medication, <laughs> but we sort of vaguely no. We've touched on the, the main points. Look it up. Mm. Yep. Look and it up and be careful. Yep. Mm. A few more interesting things. So, so um, with the acquired form, so acquired uh, can uh, prolong QT syndrome. It does seem that females are more prone to the drug-induced form of acquired. QT, prolonged QT syndrome. It's associated with anorexia and starvation, uh, and it is related to this HER gene, which is related to the the I of the I or LKR channel, which is the, the potassium rectifier channel. So, um, so it is yeah, the, it is more common in female populations. And they're not sure why that is, but pr- possibly testosterone changes the expression of certain potassium channels on. Myocytes or something like that. So theory, they're theorised. Okay, ether go go. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. Mm. I think it is something a go go. All right, we've got to thirty three minutes. That's people are going to turn off soon. They're going to arrive at their destination and turn off the podcast. Mm. Um, sympathetic events c- can trigger it as well. So if someone's got prolonged QT and you haven't fixed it. Yes, you know, so loud noises, Pain. starting them. So if they get the hiccups, don't come up behind them with a paper bag. <laughs> <laughs> pop it <laughs> just make them jump because that's probably a bad thing mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> so anyone out there with congenital long QT syndrome and hiccups beware mm-hmm. it's a bad it's a combination <laughs> unless um, they're beta blocked and have an ICD yes, that's right if they're beta blocked they're fine <laughs> perhaps um, yep yeah, I think I've exhausted all my comments mm-hmm. yeah I think we've covered everything I'm sure there's some things we haven't people can send us a, a, 
some comments if they thought of something else. Any final comments, Graham? No, no, that was very comprehensive. It was. Thank you. Yep. Okay, I'm going to go off to the room and have a quick duff beer and head to my list. Yep, I'm going to go to clinic. <laughs> okay. Thanks, everyone. <laughs> See you. Thanks for listening, everyone. Please go to the iTunes menu and subscribe to the show if you like it. Write a review. This will also help us uh, get seen by other listeners on the iTunes menu. If you're also interested, please go to our website at www.obsandguinecritcare.org where there will be lots of show notes and links to uh, interesting videos related to the topic that you've just listened to. See you again next time. Yeah.